Am I on? It's green. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Kelly. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, and if you haven't met me yet, I'm one of the staff people here at CCF, which basically just means that I get to be on campus just for you. Um, and I just have to say that I really, really, really love my job, and I love getting to work with each of you. Um, and I really secretly hope that more of you would stop me on campus when you see me and ask me to pray for you or just tell me how your day is going. Sometimes I, I see you from afar. I'm like, oh, I'm here for you. Come talk to me. <laughs> so the invitation is open. If you ever need prayer or you're on your way to a test or something, I, I will pray for you. You just let me know. Um, so tonight, I get the privilege of walking with you to explore more about God's Word and what God's Word means for our lives. So we've been looking all quarter at Genesis 1 and 2, um, the very beginning of the Bible that gives us this snapshot picture of how God created the world as he originally intended it to be. Um, and we've been looking at that, looking at who God is and how he's sovereign, creator, and good. Um, and then these past few weeks, we've been looking at what this perfect snapshot picture means for humanity and that we are created in his image um, and that we are created male and female. And last week, we looked at um, how we were created to be, um, what is the word? Stewards, sorry. <laughs> we were created to be stewards of the earth um, and care for the rest of creation. And Sarah showed us that. Um, and so tonight, I get to talk to you about an equally exciting topic. We get to talk about work. I know. You guys are so excited. <laughs> it's not boring at all. Um, no, but in all seriousness, work is one area that we don't often talk about in terms of how God views it. In our culture, we talk a lot about work and what we do, and we lead with the question, like, so what do you do? Or, oh, what are you studying? Um, but we don't ever stop and really think about how does God view our work and how are we to view our work in a healthy way. Um, and this is so, so, so important because if you were to get a 40-hour-a-week job right after college and you worked that job for 40 years and assuming you had two weeks vacation every year and you never worked overtime, you would work a total of 80,000 hours in your lifetime. That is a big deal. That is a huge chunk of our life. And that's just the work that you're getting paid for, let alone all the other work like yard work, housework, grocery shopping, taking care of children, paying your taxes, like everything else. Um, and all of that is, is work. Um, so seniors in this room, are you prepared for that? <laughs> Do you know what's coming? So to you, seniors, I want to invite you, especially tomorrow morning at Hillcrest, there's information on your sheet. We are having a Seniors in Transition workshop with alumni who are out in the marketplace just to talk to you about how to make that transition and transition well into those 80,000 hours of work that's ahead of you. And it's, it's exciting, too. Work is good. Um, 
So please come tomorrow morning. Um, we'll have muffins there too. So if that if that'll get you coming. Um, so while the seniors might have a little pit in their stomach thinking about their next steps, however known or unknown those might be, the rest of you are thinking, I just need to make it through finals. I'm not even thinking about work after college. Like, I don't know what my, my life is about. Um, so just know tonight when I say work, I mean any type of work. I mean the studying that you're doing. Um, if you do have a part-time job or volunteer work or the laundry that you're hopefully doing every week. Um, <laughs> I mean all, all work, um, not just what we get paid for. So keep that in mind. And I did some math. I was an art major, but art majors can do math. Um, as a student, if you take 15 credits a quarter and you actually study the recommended two to three hours per credit hour, um, <laughs> wishful thinking, um, and if you graduate in four years, also perhaps wishful thinking, um, you will be in class or studying somewhere between 5,400 hours and 7,200 hours, depending on if you do the two or three hours per credit hour. And I didn't even count finals week. So, and if you have labs, it's probably more. Um, so that is a huge part of our life. I don't say that to discourage you. I say all that to get you to really want to listen. <laughs> And hear what God has to say about all those hours that you are pouring into your studying and into work. Um, my hope is that tonight you will leave with a basic understanding of work as part of God's original intent for us. Um, and we'll further unpack two aspects of how God views our work that directly counter ways that we as fallen people have either undervalued or overvalued work in our lives. Um, so I hope that we will begin to see work as a way that we worship, but not the object that we worship. It's kind of my, my main idea, so I'm going to say it again. If you walk away with one thing today, walk away with this. Work is a way we worship, but it's not the object of our worship. Um, so before we dive into scripture, I want to pray. So would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice tonight, um, that as we study your words, Lord, even if it's um, the same thing we've been studying all quarter, Lord, these same words in Genesis, I pray that they would become rich and new to us, um, become fresh to us tonight, Lord, and I pray that you would reveal to us how you intend us to view our work and our lives of, of study and work and everything that that includes. Um, and Lord, we recognize your presence here with us tonight, and we thank you that you really care about every detail of our life, of our lives, including every hour that we put in studying or every hour that we put in work. Um, so Lord, thank you for being here with us tonight, and I just pray that you would open, open our eyes and open our hearts to hear you um, and see you. In your name we pray, amen. So please turn to, if you have your Bibles, if not, I have hopefully, yeah. Um, to turn to Genesis 1. We're going to start in verse 26, 
and read through uh, to Genesis 2-2. And I would encourage you on your own to keep reading the rest of chapter 2 because there's a lot more things that really enforce some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight. But, um, but just for time's sake, we're just zeroing in on um, the first part. Um, so starting in verse 26, this is just after God created all the rest of creation and he's about to create humans, um, about to create mankind. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it I give you every green, green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Um, then I also want to point out in Genesis 2.15, just jumping ahead, um, and Genesis 2 kind of gives a more detailed account of the creation of man and woman. Um, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Um, so I want us to note a few observations about the Genesis text. The first one that, that was pretty clear to me as I read this, and it's really spelled out in chapter 2, verse 2, is that God is a God who works, and he completes his work. He's not some like distant deity lounging in the clouds, getting fed by little cherub babies. Um, he, he works. He interacts with his creation. He gets his hands messy. And if you read in Genesis chapter 2, the, the more detailed account of the creation of man and woman, he gets his hands full of dirt in order to create us. Um, so he's not just this distant, lounging God, but he actually interacts with creation. And in the beginning, he worked to create the world, to create us. And he continues to work to restore the world, to restore us back to this picture of Genesis 1 and 2. And he is the same God now as he was then, the God who works and finishes his work. And we are made in his likeness. We are made in his image, which includes work. second observation that I want to point out 
was that we were created to work. God placed us in the garden to work, which means that this was, that work is pre-fall. So in, if you keep reading in Genesis 3 is the, the story that um, most are familiar with, our culture is very familiar with, um, of eating the, the forbidden fruit and um, sin and shame enter the world and humanity is distant from God and we're no longer in this close relationship with him. Um, and kind of everything, like there was curse after that, and, but work is pre-fall. God told us to work before sin and shame entered into the world. So in Genesis three seventeen through 19, God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. So it's quite a contrasting picture to what we read in Genesis 1, um, of God just giving us all of the plants and all everything to eat. Um, but now, so from this, we see that the toil and the difficulty of work, the sweat in work, um, is an effect of the fall. It's a, it's a part of original sin, but it's not. The sweat and toil and difficulty of work is not how God originally intended it. But work itself is how God originally intended it. So we often act like all parts of work are just part of the curse of the fall. Um, and we think it's terrible, and we complain about midterms and finals, and, oh, I have to study, and Jesus, come soon. Um, and we... And, <laughs> We just think that all of it is terrible. But God originally designed us to work, to care for creation, and to join Him, join with him in his work of bringing order to chaos. He originally intended work as a good thing for us and all of creation. Um, in Sarah's sermon last week, she pointed out how the words rule and subdue and th- that responsibility that we have over the rest of creation they now have a lot of negative connotations, but it was meant to show us how we are to act as benevolent rulers, um, caring and tending to God's creation. So it's meant to be a good thing for all of creation and a good thing for us. And this, this part really blows my mind. So I often think of that like, oh, if only I didn't have to work ever, that would be great. But being reminded that that is part of God's original intention. And this blows my mind, that even when God writes the world and it creates the new heaven and new earth and Jesus comes again and everything is restored back to how, how God wants it, we will still work. Um, I don't know if anyone knew that. That was a recent discovery in my life, <laughs> that we will still work. Revelations 22, 3 through 5, says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Um, So there's a lot to revelations that's metaphorical and confusing about end times um, and what and God's final restoration of his creation. But it's pretty clear 
that we are going to continue to serve God and reign with him for eternity. And if we are working for eternity, praise the Lord that there will be no more curse and that there will be no more toil and sweat in it. Amen? (laughs) So often we think that the ideal is to not work or to retire early. But God's ideal includes work. Not working all the time. He rested too. But work is pre-fall, meaning that God declared it good along with everything else he created and designed in Genesis 1 and 2. And he continues to work until everything is right and that curse is lifted. So third observation is that work is a gift that gives us purpose, joy, and relationship with God. God has designed us to work with him, to serve him, to reign with him. We're set apart in all creation to work side by side with him as his sub-creators. So we aren't equal to God when we're working with him. We are still his creation too. Um, But he invites us to work with him and gives us special purpose on earth. And wouldn't you agree that there is something good about having a purpose and knowing your purpose? And I think um, it's something that every human longs for and desires, to know your purpose and to have a purpose. And here on the college campus, we, we just talk about that question all the time, whether it's in the abstract in your, I was a, um, a lit major as well, so we just would abstractly talk all the time about, like, what's the purpose of life and the purpose of humanity, and let's just talk about it. Um, or, so whether it's in the abstract or the personal, What is my purpose? What should I major in? What am I doing? Um, College, we just ask that question all the time. But know that God's creation finds satisfaction when it fulfills its original design and purpose, which is serving him. We are created to serve and work. And it doesn't matter what kind of work. Any kind of work is joining in his his creation um, and how he's created us to be. We're fulfilling our nature when we join with him in creating order out of the chaos. So imagine that you have been working for days on a math or physics problem. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And you're redoing it, redoing it, and redoing it. And then finally, late at night in the computer lab, finally it clicks and everything comes together and you finish it. That is an exciting moment, right? I'm seeing some major nodding from Austin. It's exciting. Or imagine anything else you do that you set out to accomplish that, that takes work, and maybe it's difficult. Or you maybe like want to build a shed or something, and then it, finally, I don't know if you do that. I think it would be fun. But, um, and finally, once you complete this thing, you say, that's what I built with my hands. How cool. And it's really exciting. And I think that, that excitement and satisfaction, that is a gift from God. And that is a moment of the pre-fall work that God has gifted us with. So there actually can be great joy in work. And that is, it's completely a gift from God. And the crazy thing about work is that God doesn't need us to work for him. 
he didn't create us just to get more tasks done. I think if that was his primary concern, then he would have named all the animals himself. But if you read in Genesis 2, 19 and 20, he had Adam name all of the animals. Which I just think is funny because God just created the whole universe. And I think he could come up with a couple names. So <laughs> he didn't need Adam to come up with those names. But he invited Adam to so that he could be in relationship with Adam and be with him while Adam was naming these animals. God desired relationship with Adam. He desires relationship with each of us. And when we get to work with him and for him, we get to build a relationship with him. Have you ever noticed that when you, when you work with somebody, you build a relationship with them? When you go through a grueling study session, you bond with your classmates and actually become better friends in the end. Or um, you'll hear more about this um, spring quarter, and I think also next week. But every spring we do CCF work days where, yeah, they're super fun. And cores sign up to do like housework and yard work for people around Bellingham. And you raise funds to, um, for camp scholarships the following fall for the new freshmen to get the discount on their um, on their fall and winter camps. So I have heard every year, though, story after story after story of how cores, even who've been, like, walking together all year, um, and they've known each other since the very beginning of, of the school year, how much they bond over work days, and they come out even a stronger core because they're working together with a common purpose. And I think that that is God's heart for us when he invites us to work with him. He desires us to join him in his common purpose and, and to hang out with him while we're working and to laugh and to get to know each other better while we're working. Um, that's how he designed it, and that's his, his desire and his heart for us. So hopefully it's becoming clear that we are created to work as image bearers of a working God, that work is pre-fall and good as originally designed, and that work is a gift giving us purpose and building relationship with the living God. And there, seriously, Scripture has so, so, so much more to say about work, and we can talk all night, um, but we won't. <laughs> but um, seniors... Another plug, if you come tomorrow morning, you will hear so much more about God's design for work and what that looks like out in the marketplace um, after you're done with your last finals. Um, so I mentioned earlier the statement that work is the way we worship, but not the object of our worship. And hopefully, as we're looking at Genesis 1 and 2, work is beginning to take its proper place in our lives. Um, but I want to specifically unpack that statement in the two ways that we either undervalue or overvalue work. And we often get this wrong. We often, even knowing that we are created for work and God created it to be good, knowing that just isn't enough for us to be like, oh, got it. I love my finals. I love studying. Um, <laughs> it's not that easy because in all honesty, we aren't always doing the things that we enjoy or find satisfaction in. So what then? How are we to view our work in a fallen world where there is toil and difficulty? And sometimes it's just plain boring. 
what do we do then? And how do we see our work as worship and a way of relating to God? So it's easy to bring God into our work when we're doing things like visiting the elderly in nursing homes with, with our elderly ministry or helping people out or leading a core. Um, it's easy to see in Anthony's story that Anthony's doctor was joining with God, joining with what God was doing to heal Anthony. It's very clear in Anthony's story. But what about the rest of us who aren't doctors? I've never healed anyone with brain cancer. So what do I do with that? (laughs) Or what about that class that you have to take to fit that annoying requirement and you happen to have to take it with that one professor that you can't stand? I know know that's a a real situation, real life. Um, Or... Or what if you graduate from college with a great degree and the only job you can find is the same job that you were doing as a student before you had your degree? It's just not what you expected. Or what about if you're so tired from I don't know what, but the last thing you want to do is your laundry. But if you don't do it, you won't have any clean socks. (laughs) So where is the joy in that? (laughs) You all are going to do your laundry tonight. (laughs) Sermon takeaway, clean your socks. (laughs) So some of us, some of us um, may feel like Solomon, who is considered the wisest man. In Ecclesiastes 1, 2 through 3, he says, meaningless, meaningless says the teacher, who is Solomon, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labor under the sun? And often, I think our culture views work in this way. We just trudge through to get to the weekend or dreading when Monday comes around again. But I want to suggest that given the foundations laid in Genesis 1 and 2, all work can be worshipped not just the fun stuff or the stuff that we label as spiritual stuff. All of it is joining with God with what he is doing on earth. But to truly view our work in light of Genesis 1 and 2 as a part of our humanness, as a way of fulfilling God's intention for us, and a way of being in relationship and worshiping him, to truly view it in that way, is dependent on our attitude. It's not dependent on the fun or excitement factor of the work. It's dependent on our attitude. Um, so I'll tell you a little story. When I was little, I hated chores. Like really seriously hated, hated, hated chores. Absolutely hated them. And to get me to do chores, my mom and Nana are laughing back there. They know. <laughs> To get me to do chores was brutal for everybody involved. My mom would tell me to do them, and I would just not do them, and then she'd get frustrated, and then I would cry and still not do them (laughs) and just distract with my tears. Um, It was really bad. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) Sorry, Nana. She got me in trouble, too. Um, My room was, like, so messy not anymore, only sometimes, but when I was younger, it was like 
quartered status, messy. Like, I'm not, not even joking. Praise the Lord that he has redeemed that area of my life. <laughs> but, um, and my mom, she would threaten me that I would not be able to go to school if I didn't clean my room. And that sounds like dream come true, like to a little kid, like no school. But I loved school. I really loved school. So that was like dagger to the heart. Like, I want to go to school. Okay, I'll clean my room. And I'd like recruit my friends to help me. They were good friends. (laughs) But, and then even when I finally did it, I would just complain about it the whole time. And it was still like terrible. And it was like this terrible, terrible punishment um, when it was really just a part of being in a family. (laughs) Um, And I would grumble and complain about how much I didn't want to be doing that right then. But there were other times, far less frequent, again, sorry, Mom, um, that I would want to surprise my mom. I would want to clean the house, and I would want to do it just to show her that I loved her. And it was times like her birthday or Mother's Day or once in a blue moon, just a random day for fun. Um, And I would get excited to see the surprise on her face when she walked in to to a clean kitchen or a clean bathroom or something. I would get so excited. Um, And her delight in a clean house um, became my delight. And so in those times, like, I actually enjoyed cleaning. Um, And I would just think about how exciting it was to be scrubbing that toilet right then or something of, like, thinking about what my mom would think of it. Um, So... Something I was thinking about the other day is, what if that was always my attitude? Or what if that was always all of our attitudes when it came to work? What if we viewed all of our work and all of our studies in this way as a love offering to God? And what if his delight became our delight? So in the end, in both scenarios, I was doing the exact same chores, cleaning the toilets, cleaning the kitchen, laundry, dusting, whatever. I was doing the exact same thing. But in one scenario, I chose to complain about it and hate it. Um, And it was really terrible for everyone involved, and even bystanders, my sisters. (laughs) Um, But in the other scenario, I chose to do chores out of love, and I did them joyfully and actually had fun. And I think that it's in those times when we don't want to do a thing, or we don't see the value in it, that we most need to invite God into our work and choose to see it as worship to him. Even in that one class with that one professor, or in that job you never thought you'd keep doing after graduation. It's the difference between 80,000 hours of agony and drudgery, or 80,000 hours working side by side with God, entering into how he created us, and using our brains and our hands to show our love to him. Even Solomon, who was just shouting meaningless, had a change of attitude when he reflected on the reality of who God is. And later, in Ecclesiastes 15, 18 through 20, he says, This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun 
during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot, and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. It's not easy to find satisfaction in our work when we don't enjoy it. It's not easy to see all of our work as worship to God. We need to ask God's spirit to change our hearts and to help us see the gift that work is and his purpose and joy in work and to choose to walk forward in that. Colossians 3:17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The way to fight drudgery is to cultivate thankfulness. If you are struggling to find meaning in your work, do that this week. Cultivate thankfulness. Make it your goal in the midst of dead week and preparing for finals to every time you sit down to study, Take just 30 seconds or one minute just to thank God for that time. Invite him into that time. Or even make a list. Pick that one class that you really don't like and choose to sit down and make a list of all the things that you are thankful to God um, in that class. Not during class. Pay attention. (laughs) But, But all the ways that you are thankful for that class. And just how God meets you in the midst of cultivating thankfulness. Some of us really need to hear that word, that work is a way we worship, and that we need to elevate the value of work in our lives. But on the other end of the spectrum, a lot of us overvalue work, and we need to be reminded that work is not the object of our worship. Work is a way we worship, not the object of our worship. And I'm sure that when I say that, most of you agree with me, but I think that we often live so contrary to this, and it is such a thin line to cross between taking work seriously and wanting to honor the Lord and see your work as worship, to stepping over and finding your value in work and letting work rule your life and become the object of your worship. It's a very... Very thin line. So how do you tell if you've crossed the line? We can tell if work has become too important in our lives, if our value is wrapped up in our work, or if we can't stop working. Do you measure your worth on how well you do a thing? If you get a good grade on a test, do you become puffed up with pride thinking that you are awesome and secretly thinking that you are better than everybody else in your class? Or, getting a good grade on your test, do you feel the pressure? I have to, on my next test, I have to get that same good grade in order to uphold my smart image. Or what if you do really poorly on a test? Are you devastated and like yourself less? Or are you running haggard, never saying no, and just continuing to work, work, work? as if the world depended on the work that you were doing and how fast you're doing it. When our value 
is dependent on our work. Work is no longer the way that we worship and interact relationally with God, but it becomes the object of our worship and a real idol in our lives and an idol that will never be satisfied. There will always be a better grade you can get. There will always be a higher degree you could aim for, a more prestigious job, more money you can earn, a cleaner house you can have. There will always be more work to do. And some of you are already so weary from that hamster wheel. And God is inviting you to take a step off. Take a step off and away from that pressure. And God wants you to hear this. The good news that though we were created to work, our value is never, never, never dependent on our productivity. We look at Genesis 1.31, and God says, or Genesis says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Very good. God declared his creation good. He declared us good before we ever did anything, before we actually worked in the garden. He just created us and said, good, that is very good. (laughs) So our value is never dependent on what we can do for God or how well it turns out or how much we do. It's not dependent on our productivity which is so contrary to what our culture tells us. This is something that that I often struggle with, and it's a continual thing in my life that I have to give over to God. Um, Working in such a way where it seems like the whole world depends on the work that I do. Um, And I rush around in my day only realizing at the very end of the day that I never once invited God into the work I was doing, or I never once recognized that I was actually serving him and not all the people around me or instead of realizing that I was actually serving the idol of work in my life measuring my value on how well I did a thing or how much I accomplished and over this season including even just this last quarter there was times where I had set aside time to prepare prepare for this sermon and I had a sinus infection for like three weeks and my brain was fuzzy and it was like you can ask my peer team ladies. I was like, mm, like, for three weeks. And I, it was just a time where God was saying, it doesn't matter if you're not doing, working at 110%. You are still valuable. And he's been teaching me to cultivate rest in my life and taking a day like he did, a day to rest and say, you know what? The world will be okay if I don't work on this day. And to those of you who are running around similarly or who have such anxiety wrapped up in how well a test goes, God is saying to you that you are valuable, not because of what you do, but because God created you and declared you valuable. I don't know if we like really, that really sinks in sometimes, that the God who created the whole universe declared you valuable. And he considered you so valuable that he sent his son to die on the cross in your place so that you could have a right relationship with him. 
And even if you weren't, even if something happened and you weren't able to do work, even in those three months when Anthony couldn't remember what was going on, he was valuable. Even if you're unable to work and you, or you're unable to, to write that paper, you know, for whatever reason, you are still valuable. Or when you're nearing the end of your life, sitting in a nursing home, not able to do what you used to do, even then you are valuable because he declared it so. And he might even send future CCS students to go visit you just to show you that you are valuable. And in the end, the kind or amount of work that you do might look no different from the outside. Whether you're working just because you have to, or you're working to prove your worth to the world or to yourself, or if you're working as a way of worship and building a relationship with God. From the outside, it may look no different, but how your heart is bent makes the world of difference to God and to your life. So ask yourself, do I study just to get the grade, to get my degree, to earn prestige, to please my parents? Do I work just to get money because I have to, to prove my value, to please others? Or do I study and work out of love for Christ, to be in relationship with him, and to honor the way that God has created my brain to think and my hands to build? Do I really see work as a way of worship and not the object of my worship? Do I view work as God intended it to interact in my life? So I'll invite the worship team up, um, and I'm going to, in just a moment, I'll pray, and then we'll move into um, worship through song. But before we sing and after I pray, um, I want us all to take a minute to write down just one thing that you feel like God is wanting to reshape your view of work and how, or, you know, studies and how you viewed it. Just write down one thing that he wants to correct in your mind. And then I want you to think of one thing that this week, dead week and finals week as you're preparing or I guess it's not dead week yet. Next week is dead week, right? Yeah. Um, so this next week, dead week, as you're looking ahead to finals, I want you to write down one thing that you're going to do to help cultivate space in your life for God shifting your attitude and your perspective. So that might be taking that minute to, to pray and invite God into your studies right before you study. It might mean writing down that list of ways that you're thankful for that one class. Or it might mean getting a decent bedtime and declaring to the world that the world doesn't rest on that last hour that you need to study. Like, go to bed. <laughs> and the goal in doing these things um, is just is not to do them. It's not another thing on your to-do list, but it's to create space in your life to let God reshape how you have been going and um, reshape your attitude, either elevating the way you view work, back up to where God intended it to be, as good and as worship to him, or taking it down off of this pedestal that you've had it, um, 
and really recognizing it as the way we worship and not the object of our worship. So let's pray. Lord, to me it is just so freeing that our value is not in our work or our productivity, Lord. I thank you that you have declared us valuable and good before we ever did anything. Lord, I pray that you would show us, each individually, the ways that we have skewed work in our lives, Lord, the ways that we have skewed it as a result of the fall. And I pray that you would show us, however difficult it might be, um, how we can reshape our attitudes and refocus our eyes on you, Lord, finding real joy and satisfaction in our work, Lord, and building a relationship with you as we do it. So, Lord, I pray that you really would help us um, in our day-to-day, in each step that we go from here, um, that you would show us how you want work to interact in our lives, Lord. And we thank you, again, that you really do care about this. You really do care about every hour we put in studying and every hour um, that we're working or doing laundry or caring for children or all of it, Lord. You care so deeply about us, Lord, and we thank you for that. Um, And thank you, Lord, that we do get to work because it really is fun sometimes. Um, So thank you for that, Lord. Pray all of this in your name. Amen.